Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Digital Switch. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Sonia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. I probably shouldn't say I'm here because we're not in the same place, are we? <laughs> That's true. We're doing it virtually. <laughs> yeah. So um, we are very excited today to have uh, Praveen Halati, who is our head of product, back on the show. Uh, for those of you who follow us regularly, we had Praveen on the show uh, a few weeks back talking about data governance. And we just thought it'd be best to kind of break this episode down to into two episodes and um, kind of carry on from there. So, uh, Praveen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. It's great to be back again. So, Praveen, last episode, as Naveed just mentioned, we discussed the basics of data governance and the importance around having an effective data governance model as part of an enterprise's overall data management strategy. So this episode, we're going to dive even deeper, um, specifically focusing on active data governance. So, Praveen, most enterprises, they currently do have a data governance model in place. But as we mentioned last episode, it may be static or what we call passive. So I'm wondering, as a refresher, would you mind briefing our viewers on what exactly differentiates active from what we call passive data governance? Right. So I think it's a it's a great question, and uh, I'll I'll uh, answer it by using an analogy. Um, so if you remember, or at least uh, you know, a few of us who are older remember, there was a time before GPS, and uh, if we had to go from point A to point B, city A to city B we would go out and then buy these maps. So these would be paper maps, they would be state maps or county maps, and then we would sit in our car and then there would be a driver and the co-passenger would be a navigator. And then he or she would just say, okay, in three miles, take the exit and then go and then take a left turn and so on, right? So I think all of us remember those days. And then now we have our GPSs, they started out with the Garmin's and now everyone has a GPS uh, on their phone. And we don't have to ha use those paper maps. Um, and then there's a big difference, right, in the driving experience, because now you not only know how to get from point A to point B, but you know what the best route is to take at any given time, number one. Number two, if there are any accidents or construction, you know that ahead of time. If certain roads are flooded, if there are detours and so on. You get all of that richer information um, directly through your phone. So this is the difference between um, an active um, you know, um, way of uh, navigation from a passive way of navigation. So this analogy carries over to the world of data governance as well. So when we talk about passive data governance, we talk about something akin to a paper map. So organizations typically uh, realize that uh, they need to better uh, they need to do a better job at governing data so they set up uh, data governance steering committees uh, they decide that data has to be categorized into different domains they assign different um, you know specific data stewards for each domain and then they would go about capturing the metadata for the so-called critical data elements and that means, uh, for example, if you have a report, then you capture the structure of that report, what field it contains, and so on. So that's what I call uh, a passive model, um, because essentially it's it's you know it's not really data governance; they are governing metadata because that's all they are capturing. 
And the reason it's passive, in fact, the main reason it's passive is because they are very far from the transactional data, which is the lifeblood of organizations. So as you can imagine, um, say for a, a credit card company or for a um, broker dealer, you have transactions flowing through hundreds or thousands of systems um, within the enterprise um, globally, 24 by seven. So uh, a passive data governance model would not touch these transactions because they, they sit outside of this model. And that's why it's called passive. It's easier to implement because it's, um, it's uh, non-intrusive, right? Because you know anyone can set up a data governance committee assigning stewards, um, and then this doesn't uh, impact um, the actual transactions as they flow through the system. They don't have to do any work in integrating them with these individual systems. So this is what um, passive data governance is. Um, is it better? then having no data governance at all? Yes, because you have something. Now, you do have, you sort of draw a boundary and you say, okay, I know what my critical data elements are, who owns them, and you get some metadata out of it. You know that, okay, this particular critical report that I submit to a regulator or to a customer has to have these 20 fields. And then in some cases, you also have a lineage and says, hey, this particular column is created from you know two or three other columns in a different report or in a different system. So it has its um, its uses, uh, but it's very very limited. So Praveen, I think the what I'm hearing from you is that there's a difference between having data governance and having an effective data governance. So meaning that sure you can have a data governance that fits your needs to, to a certain extent, but um, is it really giving you everything you need, right? Is it really as effective? So That's before right. we get yeah. into you know the details of what an active data governance essentially looks like and why so many uh, enterprises are still sort of um, utilizing data governance as slightly less effective way, why don't we start from the benefits point of view? So what are the benefits of having a more dynamic data governance approach to begin with? Right, I think uh, both these are uh, interrelated, right? So in order to see the benefits of active data governance, we should look at the shortcomings of passive data governance. So as I mentioned earlier, the, having any sort of data governance model is beneficial, but uh, having a passive data governance model is not enough. Um, so let me give you an example. So we serve uh, large uh, global banks um, in the financial services sector. So uh, if we're all aware of the uh, challenging economic environment now, now that doesn't make it easier from a regulatory perspective, right? So the regulators uh, will still insist on total compliance with global regulations and uh, banks and financial institutions are supposed to comply with that especially in times of uh, greater volatility now in the market. So imagine you ha we have a customer who has a passive data governance model in place and they are supposed to submit a risk report or a CSCR report of some sort. How does passive data governance help? Um, the passive data governance model will act just like a paper street map. So it'll tell you that 
this is a specific report that's required by a specific regulator. And here are the fields in that report. And then it may even tell you those fields come from some other specific systems. But given a record or an entry in that report, does it actually help you uh, trust that number in that report? And the answer is no, um, because uh, again, the reason goes back to these metadata management tools, which uh, obviously implement are used to implement passive data governance. They sit apart from the data itself. So given an given a CSDR report or a risk report, if you um, if you if you take any record or entry in that report and try to assess whether that number makes sense, whether it's accurate, or whether there is something missing um, in the in the in the chain of transactions that led to that number being produced in the report, passive data governance tools are not going to help you. Um, they will help you only up to a certain extent. You can go and look up a metadata tool and say, okay. I want to figure out where this particular metric came from. The metadata tool is only, only going to point you to the various upstream systems that were responsible for generating that metric. That's all it's going to do. Then the user has to go and query each of these other systems. And believe me, there could be hundreds of those systems. And then piece together this lineage. So the you don't have a true lineage, a a business contextual lineage um, created by these metadata tools. All they all they have is a static data lineage. So that's where um, um, the shortcomings lie. Um, you know, a metadata management tool that implements passive data governance is not going to uh, help you ensure that you meet your data quality criteria. Okay, so just to clarify really fast is what you're saying, passive data governance actually fixes the actual data versus active data governance, which fixes kind of the process and the rules that originally may have caused the error. Yeah, well, the passive data governance model is, uh, is, is actually not even going to fix your actual data. Uh, what it's going to just do is um, give you a sort of a map, which is very static, um, which you can refer to, but it's not, it, 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 you know, it, it sits separately from the data that actually flows through your system. So for example, um, uh, and I go back to my uh, prior example, if you look at a regulatory report, which may have say 20 different fields, um, if you look at a um, data lineage that comes out of a passive data governance tool, like a data management, metadata management tool, it's only going to tell you how those 10 fields were, uh, you know, where do they originate from? Maybe the first field originated from these five systems, and the second field was taken from a CRM system, et cetera. It doesn't tell you anything about the quality of data which is in that report. Maybe there are some records that are missing. Maybe there was an error in computing some of those metrics. A passive data governance approach will not help you identify them quickly or identify them at all in many cases. I see. So it's fairly obvious that in order for an enterprise to really be successful, they need active data governance. So in your opinion, why do you think some enterprises still utilize a passive data governance model? 
I think the simple answer is because it's easier, um, uh, and they, they think that it's easier uh, to adopt a passive data governance model. Um, it, uh, it, it doesn't uh, require the effort in uh, actually managing the data that resides within all these systems. So you can um, have a steward um, create a metadata definition, say, you know, have a business glossary and the stewards can, uh, or anyone actually can contribute to the business glossary. The stewards can populate the data dictionary by importing table schemas, et cetera. So in a way it's easier. However, um, it doesn't cause a material impact to data quality. So the data quality issues are still going to remain. Even though some vendors may claim that you'll improve better data quality using our data governance platform. But if you dig deeper and then you question them, you'll realize that you need to then either implement your rules yourself by the respective IT teams or use a uh, market provider as a rules engine or a rules profiler, number one. And then also, you don't have a lineage that goes across systems, right? Um, and so you have to go out and buy something like a reconciliation um, engine, matching engine. So in order for clients to have a more active data governance, it's okay to start with the passive data governance, but by no means is that complete. You do need all these other components to fit together in order to achieve what we call an active data governance model. And that's very expensive. So it's not the cost of just uh, purchasing licenses for your metadata management tools. Now you have to go out and buy a reconciliation engine, or you have to write your own application. You have to buy or code a rules profiler or a rules engine as well. So the costs quickly add up. Praveen, you mentioned lineage a couple of times. I wonder if you can uh, describe for the audience the most uh, sort of basic definition of what lineage is in general. And of course, we can talk about what cuneiform lineage is specifically, but I'd love for you to kind of describe that concept a little bit more as well. Yeah, I think, um, I, and you know, the um, uh, the best way to explain this is using simple terms, like. Um, Lineage uh, only means um, a way of ascertaining or ensuring how a particular event or a, a piece of data came about. So for example, if you have a data metric uh, like a risk number, uh, how was that calculated? What were the various events that happened that resulted in calculation of that particular number? Um, this is something that we call as a lineage in general terms. Um, now, specifically, uh, there's a term called, or a phrase called data lineage uh, that's used very widely in the industry. And um, what that means is um, if you uh, have a uh, report or you have a set of critical data elements, it is going to tell you where each of those columns originated from, or what were the various touch points um, that led to this particular field being populated in a report. And it's as simple as that. Um, but again, the uh, devil is in the details. So this data lineage is in reality only talking about the lineage of 
the uh, the metadata itself. It doesn't tell you about the data. So you know the the, the easiest example is um, let's say you're given an actual report, right? Which is a spreadsheet, which is a set of rows with actual numbers. And you know if you if you look at row number one and if you see a number there. How do you know how that number was created? Um, you wouldn't know that by just looking at a metadata tool and saying, okay, I know that this particular row one, column one was created from five other systems. You actually have to go and look at the data in those five systems and tie it together um, to this data in the report and then see if that data has been correctly calculated. So this is something that's more than what's commonly called data lineage. And that's why we call it um, active lineage. Um, and, I'll, and I'll talk about that as well, as to what are these components of, of what we call active lineages. So if someone is listening to this and they're thinking, well, you know, I want my enterprise to have a more effective or active data governance model, what is the best way for them to get started? Well, the best way is to talk to us, right? <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> I would say that, um, and I'm not exaggerating in any um, shape or form, but the offering that we have, um, there is no comparable offering out there in the market. Um, and we've done extensive research on this. We've looked at um, metadata management tools. We've looked at reconciliation tools. We've looked at master data management tools. We've looked at BI tools. We've looked at operations intelligence tools uh, and so on. So there's nothing in the market that comes close to what we offer. And what we offer is an integrated data governance platform, um, which includes not just elements of passive data governance, which is a business glossary and the data dictionary um, and a data catalog um, with uh, the ability to assign data stewards, et cetera, but we go way beyond that. So for example, the lineage that we offer not just covers um, metadata lineage, but it also covers uh, contextual lineage. It also covers exception lineage. So when you talk about a, a metric that uh, appears in a report, you know exactly what pieces of data were used to calculate that metric and what have been all the exceptions in the past uh, um, that have been raised, right? Um, so we have information about all the exceptions um, throughout the flow of transactions that result in a particular critical data element. Um, and we also have uh, a rules engine which actually runs in real time as transactions flow through the system. So, and all of this is integrated, by the way, in a single platform. So uh, uh, an enterprise out there doesn't have to make these point solution um, purchases where they buy a metadata uh, governance software uh, platform and then they invest in a rules engine and then they go and buy their own reconciliation platform or write their own reconciliation rule and then worry about how to integrate all these things together. So this is one single platform targeted to business uh, users, uh, minimal IT effort, but it does all of these things. Um, it gives you um, a richer version of lineage, um, it helps directly in data quality um, by applying um, a rich set of rules that can be defined easily by business customers. It provides a lineage of exceptions. It gives you complete transactional lineage in a, with a business context view. Um, 
and it helps uh, you consume the data um, from our platform in whichever shape or form the users want to consume it in. Um, Praveen, thank you for that explanation. Uh, in summary, I think, uh, I hope I'm capturing all of this uh, properly, but in general, what we're really saying here is that um, you may have a data governance in place, but there are better ways of doing it. And in essence, that effectiveness has a lot to do with the way you actually build everything up from the ground. And so, you know, one of these, uh, one of the pieces here is, as you just mentioned, is that with the Cuneiform platform, you have a more integrated approach, first of all, to this entire problem domain. But also what we've done uh, with our platform, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think what we have is extremely unique. Of course, you know, um, our opinion is, is biased, but I, you know, we, we do a, a pretty thorough job of looking around to make sure how we position ourselves. And, and uh, again, I completely agree with you at that what we've done with the platform is quite unique. And the other piece to this is that, of course, we have the zero code approach with our platform, which means that you really can begin this interaction with the platform as quickly as possible. You know, we we really want to make sure that the subject matter experts are able to interact with the, the data that they know well, um, quite effectively and quite quickly. And the most important or the third piece, which is to me, again, another really important piece here is that we have what we refer to as the Cuneiform lineage, which is really actually a uh, a combination of different types of lineages. We won't go into that in this episode. I hope we can have you back again so we could uh, discuss that piece a little bit more in detail. But what's really great about this is that you don't have this um, sort of meal piece or meal piece piece approach, if I can talk, uh, to this overall problem. That you have this overall um, sort of end-to-end -end view into everything that's going on because that is really what would allow you to have insights that you can essentially act on fairly quickly and effectively. Um, but I hope I captured most of this. But again, I really wanted to thank you for taking the time to explain these uh, to us uh, and to our listeners one more time. Yeah, it, I mean, I think that's uh, very well summarized. Um, uh, parting thoughts to the listeners are, uh, I think it comes down to end-to-end um, -end trust and transparency. Um, it's very difficult. Trust and transparency are, are two attributes that are very difficult to achieve in an enterprise uh, without having an active data governance approach um, um, because it, trust relates to your risk and then transparency relates to cost, right? It takes a lot of effort and um, expensive resources to provide the transparency and then provide the numbers that um, you can trust and then your customers and regulators can trust. So uh, what we provide is an active data governance platform that gives you end-to-end -end trust and transparency. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Praveen, for joining us again for a third time. Uh, we hope to have you back again soon. Looking forward to it. Thank you, guys. So everyone, a quick shout out. We just posted two really great blog posts on data governance and then another one on active versus passive data governance. So some supplemental material for you guys. But thank you for listening to Digital Switch. You can find us on your favorite podcast streaming service or on digitalswitch.show. 
Stay up to date on our episodes, blog posts, and all things Piernova at Piernova.com and Piernova Inc. on Twitter. So everyone have a great week and stay healthy.